0: All right, Monday's podcast, boy, it's a good one today. Um, I, I I just got back from CPAC, and I look at the president and his speeches in a totally different light. I, I really learned a lot this weekend watching him and the crowd, what I discovered at CPAC uh, coming up in this podcast. Also, I had the nerve to say that Bernie Sanders and his, his version of socialism, which is communism, might be a danger, plus the recap of what happened over the weekend, who's in, who's out, Buttigieg, uh, and what's happening tomorrow all around the country for Super Tuesday, our coronavirus update, and why Dr. Robert Epstein says the forget Russia, forget Russia, with Google and Facebook, the Republicans cannot win in 2020, unless all on today's podcast. You're
1: listening to The Best of the Glenn Beck Program.
0: So, I don't know if you saw this, uh, Stu, but Yahoo News and... um, um, What's the other one? The Daily Beast... Uh, They've been just writing horrible stories about me at CPAC. And I really want to get into this because it's all from Media Matters. That's all this is, is Media Matters. Trump ally cheered by Republicans for speech claiming Bernie Sanders presidency would lead to another holocaust. I think I did say that. I think I did say that. Glenn Beck, uh, Glenn Beck, a former news, Fox News pundit and an ally to Donald Trump. That's you. Wow, that's the first time I've been called an ally. Donald Trump doesn't even call me an ally. Uh, was cheered on by Republicans during a conference in which he claimed a Bernie Sanders presidency would lead to another holocaust. An incendiary speech full of false claims and misinformation. Now, this is the way misinformation and disinformation spread you you write a piece for yahoo news and you make the claim full of false claims and misinformation and then not go over any of those things not actually say what that really was and take the speech apart i welcome you to try to do it yahoo news go ahead it was a, I don't know, the
1: Yahoo News room is bustling at this point in the in the company's right. trajectory. So
0: I don't yeah. know if they'll have time for that one. Yeah, I know. Um, so <clears throat> uh, full of uh, false claims and misinformation uh, delivered to the annual CPAC conference. Mr. Beck compared Sanders and his supporters to Bolsheviks. Yes. Uh, warning a violent revolution could uh, or uh, should the Democratic Socialists assume office. Uh, Yeah, just because that's what his supporters are saying. These are not grassroots groups of Democrats. They're Marxist revolutionaries who believe in nothing short of complete overthrow of the United States and destruction of the Constitution and the free market system. Beck told an audience of activists at the White House uh, and White House officials at CPAC. "Uh, And please, let's stop calling them Bernie bros because they're not my brother. They're they're not something that is funny. They're Bernie Bolsheviks. They're Bernie Brown shirts. That's what they are, he said. To cheers of support from the crowd, and their revolution will result in death and misery, another Holodomor, another Holocaust, or whatever we call the next great socialist atrocity. Mr. Beck also suggested that Mr. Sanders' followers, who he falsely claimed are armed with pipe bombs, Molotov cocktails, and guns, are worse than the Nazis. Now, I didn't say they were worse than the Nazis. I said, there that we have it worse than our grandparents did because our grandparents in world war ii it was clear what evil was it was clear and they took it seriously now we're looking at bernie sanders and going, he's just funny he's like larry david and these are bernie bros and we're laughing at them we weren't laughing at the nazis we're laughing at these bolsheviks who are indeed uh arming themselves with pipe bombs and molotov cocktails uh have you noticed antifa have you seen any of their peaceful
1: rallies i will say too there was a lot of laughing about the nazis before the nazis turned into what we now know yeah. the nazis were yeah when they were early on they were very much jokes yeah uh, and were mocked all over the world yeah including by you know the united states and britain and all the people who wound up taking them very seriously later
0: on yes so anyway, um, I'm, I'm not worried about it. I just want to say uh, to both the Daily Beast uh, and Yahoo News, first of all, two stories isn't widely condemned. OK, that's you and media matters. Any story I have read was rip and read from media matters. We know who they are. Um, second thing I want to say is tell me what tell me what the lies were. Tell me where well, the tell me the lies.
1: So you actually said that if Bernie gets elected, there will be another Holocaust. No, which is was that no, no, your no. quote? Because no. that's what that made it. Sound I said
0: like. their socialist revolution. I mm-hmm. said these are revolutionaries, and if they get into office their social their um marxist revolution mm-hmm. will lead to the destruction because what they're saying and I'm not talking about Bernie Sanders saying this I'm talking about all the people that are in his I can't even say all I shouldn't say that almost all of the people mm-hmm. in his campaign and the ones that have been shown by Project Veritas they are talking about a violent revolution they are talking about gulags they are talking about killing Twenty million people
1: they can't they, they can't fact check you on that though because that means they'd have to mention the the project veritas thing which they've all yes. dutifully ignored ignored, ignored. Um, which is great right and they've
0: also ignored they've that all, they still work there and they've also ignored all of the people who are currently yeah. paid highest level of the bernie sanders campaign that were over and they were consulting the former communist party of east germany I mean, they're they are with the communists all over Europe and they are consulting with them. So, please, you haven't done your homework. You don't know what you're talking about. And that's giving you credit. I personally think you're for it. But I could be wrong. Uh, Let me tell you about in fact, let me take a quick break early because I want to talk to you about what I discovered about Donald Trump. Uh, I'm sitting in the uh, front row of cpac while donald trump is giving his speech and uh i see him and his speeches in an entirely different light now i saw him in 2016 speak and i saw him live and it just wasn't the same as it is now and i have learned so much from what i i think Another door of understanding has opened up for me. And I've looked I look at him and those speeches, which I've always been like, oh, please don't know. Just stick to the script. Stick to the script. I look at him entirely different after actually sitting and being there. If you even if you don't like Donald Trump, you just want to understand Donald Trump. Go to one of his his rallies. You will understand him in a completely new way. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. I was at CPAC this weekend, and I understand the president more clearly than I think I ever have. Uh, And I have... I have missed his secret sauce you know and i think a lot of people are like this who like the president but they're like i wish he would stop tweeting and i've come to this place to where i do wish he would stop uh, tweeting but i don't think we would be where we are in a good way if it wasn't for his tweeting so i'm kind of torn on it because it's his tweets that drive that expose everything it drives the left so crazy that they don't know what to do and so they just They prove him right all the time. So while I would like to get rid of his Twitter feed, I would not like to get rid of his Twitter feed at the same time. I'm really torn on that. The other thing, like when I saw him at the State of the Union, that was a well-crafted speech. That was really good. And he was very presidential. And if you remember right, I said to him, if he was that, or I said to you, if he was that guy, from now until 2020 he'd win not sure that i was right about that and here's why i haven't been to one of his rallies since 2016 and i went to one of his rallies but i went to his rally before he had the the seal on front and and on the stage and before he had any track record so I didn't believe the things that he was saying he was going to do. I still don't believe everything. You know, he's like, and this is the greatest weather pattern in the history since the dinosaurs. I still don't you know, like, OK, I don't think so. But whatever. That's Donald Trump. Here's what I here's what I learned watching him. Donald Trump has mastered this thing and it's genuine i don't think it's calculated he has mastered this thing with his supporters that he's the president of the united states and yet he's not and what here's what i mean by that imagine the president of the united states is your best friend okay you grew up together and you would expect the president you know you would call him mr president and if you were in public he might even say uh, don't call me. Don't call me, Mr. You know, I'm still I'm still Bill. But people around him would go, please, when you're in public, please call him, Mr. President. And you probably would because he's the president of the United States. But when you're in his living room above the, you know, White House and you're just the two of you, you'd be sitting on the couch and you'd be like, OK, let me tell you what I really let me tell you what really happened. This is freaking crazy. Here's what happened. And he'd be watching stuff and you'd be like, "Okay, so what did you really think about the debate? And he'd be like, oh, mini Mike. And he would be making fun of him. That's who this president is on stage. When he's in those rallies, he's your buddy. He's your best friend who happens to be president. And he's pulling the curtain back. It's I've heard people say it is the best entertainment in America. I believe that to be true. It is the best value. It's free. You're seeing one of the best shows I've ever seen. And here's another reason why. Not only is he genuine in those things, he is genuinely funny. When you see him in little clips, you don't, you don't get it. When you watch it on TV, it's not the same. But when you're sitting there, and you're watching him. I have, I've, I've known he was a good performer, but I have to tell you, I think he has some of the best comedic time. Netflix, they gave the, what was it, billion dollars or a hundred million dollars to the wrong president. They gave a hundred million dollars for Barack Obama to make a bunch of documentaries that nobody's going to watch. What I saw at CPAC was one of the best, and I say one of because I can think of two others that are on par. It was one of the best Netflix comedy specials I've ever seen. He has comedic timing, unlike I've seen. And I thought that, I, I don't know, I just didn't give him enough credit to be that kind of performer he was and i know he was because the guy who was sitting next to me was like he's looking at you man because he would do something and it would be really really funny and he just kind of glance over and look at me and kind of smile like i know what i'm doing and i'm like <laughs> you do brother you do i mean it was it was impressive hmm. to watch him i've never seen and i chalk this i chalked uh, this up to arrogance i still think he's an arrogant guy however not sure that's the right word i've never seen anyone as comfortable in their own skin as him because i watched him walk off stage and i could see him walk off in the back okay and you know when i get off stage it's like that was work You know what I mean? That was not work for him. He walked off stage and there was no letdown. There was no, okay, all right. It's him. And I watched him. I was close enough to really watch his body language. The guy is more comfortable in his skin and who he is than anyone I think I've ever seen. It was remarkable, remarkable to watch remarkable
1: and that's why it works so well right Right. because it's in real
0: like people will in a weird way that's authenticity right yeah it is and he's he you know if you understand the mindset that the people who voted for him and the people who will vote for him are sick of being told one thing and then they do another his speeches when he's giving and he's going off the the prompter it was weird because watching him on television, you're like, stick to the prompter, stick to the prompter, stick to the prompter. But in live, that's not what you're going for. You don't care what he's saying on the prompter. It's almost like an interlude. Because mm-hmm. he he wore it. The guy sitting next to me said, this guy's in his 70s. I'm exhausted from the 90 minutes. Because, first of all, you feel like you're in Catholic Church. You're up and down and up and down and up and down. But it's genuine. It's not like the, it's not like the uh, stupid uh, um, State of the Union speech where it's like, oh, sit down, shut up, none of you mean it. It's genuine you're up and down and up and down and up and down. And you're laughing so hard. And uh, when he goes back to the speech, you're like, okay, I don't really have to pay attention here. And it's like he's coming out. And he's just, yeah, and then he just stops. And and that's what everybody's coming for. They're not coming for the speech. That's what Barack Obama missed. Barack Obama didn't have those crowds because he was an image of something. And he gave these beautiful speeches. But he wasn't real. It wasn't. He didn't connect. You didn't want to hang out with Barack Obama. And he didn't have anything. There's this air of discovery with this president to where you're you wanted someone who was consistent, who would blow the system up. And so he's telling you, "Okay, here's what I really did this weekend. Oh, you know, what really drove him nuts. It was really great. Figured out something else. And I know this to be true because of me. Um, You can feel very alone doing these kinds of jobs. And there's lots of people that do these jobs and they'll feel very alone. No one is more alone than the president of the United States. No one. Especially since no other president wants to talk to him. You know, they always say, at least I have, you know, I can talk to the other presidents and they get together. Nobody wants, nobody's his, nobody's his buddy. No one. And he has a legendarily uh, small circle, even for a president. Correct. So that guy is alone. My friend said to me, I'm exhausted. And when he said that, I was looking at the president thinking, this guy could go another three hours. Now, genetically, there's something going on with him. He's very, he's not his age. Okay. He's, he's in good genetic health, I think. Um, so that goes for stamina. He sleeps like three hours a day. There's something weird happening with him. Um, in a good way. I wish I had that. Um, The, the thing though, that I noticed because I'm like this and I know others, he's always surrounded by enemies. Always. When you and I see each other, you might get something out of the speech and you may be like, Oh, that was fun. That was great. But I can guarantee you, I get more from you than you get from me because I get recharged that's what's happening. The president is hanging out with his friends at those rallies. And he knows he's in a safe space with you. He knows that you're not going to turn on him. And, and he is getting recharged. It's, it's his, you're his friend. You're his friend. And he's living in a pretty friendless world right now. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. And that's what people are feeling. That's why he's so loyal to you. And you're so loyal to him. Because he's doing what he said. He's letting you in on the secrets. He's letting you in and he's pulling the curtain back and he's like, everybody thinks they're all that. They're not. I don't really care. That is huge for his fans. And you're giving that back to him. The guy, I think the guy's unstoppable. I really do. I think he's unstoppable. In the election, you mean? In 2020? I hope, yeah. Yeah, if it's against Biden, it's over. He took a, you know, pro poll, and he's like, uh, let me just take a poll. He said, I did it in South Carolina, and I'm not going to tell you the results. Who should I run about or run against? Then he was like, Buttigieg. I don't even know who he is or why he's running. I mean, he went through all of them, and he said, I'm only going to ask you about two people. Joe Biden. And Bernie Sanders, he said, "I want you to cheer if you think it would be the easiest to beat Joe Biden." There was a pretty good cheer. Now, those who think I should run against Bernie Sanders because you think he'd be the easiest to beat, and the place went nuts. And all I kept thinking was, "Uh, no, 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 no." Yeah, it's, it's such a. We've had this
1: conversation on the air a bunch of times of which one you'd root for. Yeah. And it's tough because I do understand the argument that Sanders is the guy because I think he would be maybe the easiest one to be. Maybe. Maybe. However, if you lose, the ramifications are considerably worse. Yeah. And that's the thing that I keep coming back to is that like, you know, like coronavirus is a great example. I don't think that's going to turn into something that that changes the election. But something like that, that is completely out of the control of the president could change the election and make the other person win. And if that other person is Bernie Sanders, you've got a socialist president of the United
0: States. Serious problem. But I will tell you that I, I I think that it is interesting to see um, the way the president dealt with all of these people over the weekend. Uh, And uh, I really, I want to see if I can get CPAC to give me the video because I want to, I want to edit it into like a 25 or 30 minute comedy special because I think he was brilliant, truly brilliant. If he was any other president, he would get an Emmy for these because they're TV specials. (laughs) They really are. (laughs) He would get an Emmy for uh, best comedic actor. I I really underestimated uh, his calculation and his skill. Really, truly brilliant really brilliant you're listening to the best of the glenn beck program we welcome to the program uh mr charlie kirk uh, Charlie you're on the Glenbeck program the name of your book that is coming out not that you don't know this called the mega uh, the the maga doctrine the only ideas that will win the future welcome to the program Charlie Kirk how are you Charlie
2: It's an honor, Glenn. Thanks so much for having me. Great to talk to you again.
0: In case you don't know who Charlie is, he's founder and president of Turning Point USA, which is this phenomenal group uh, that is spreading not only all over college campuses and high schools all over America, but literally all over the world. It is remarkable, Charlie, what you have uh, put together. Um, You know, I want to talk a little bit about the book, but I want to get into some specifics uh, with you that are a little different. But um, let me... Uh, first, get your your call on Super Tuesday and what happened in South Carolina.
2: Yeah, it's fascinating, Glenn, and thanks so much for having me on. It's an honor to speak to you. Um, Bloomberg might be one of the worst politicians I've ever seen in American <laughs> history. And it's all about Bloomberg, in my opinion, what's happening right now, because I, like many others, believed he would at least have some form of charisma or or capacity to oh, no, that to the to the audience. No. And and it seems as if, you know, money can buy you a lot, but it cannot buy you, you know, charisma and it can't buy you connection. Um, and so because of that, Biden I guess has just become the default of the establishment pick and it doesn't seem that everyone's excited to vote for Biden it just kind of people are putting up their hands saying well I guess we'll vote for him now and so you're going to see a real collision course you're going to see Biden who is going to who's very controllable by the establishment mm-hmm. and very he, he will do what he is told by the powers to be mm-hmm. and then you have Bernie Sanders who is a true revolutionary he's a true bolshevik he believes uh in Rousseauian um hegelian marxism which you have detailed so brilliantly in your books and has been so instructive to me and the, it's on a collision course and so the question is will it go the way that it went in 2016 where hillary used a lot of the the power levers to eventually beat bernie in some let's just say questionable ways i have my doubts i actually think that bernie is better suited to defeat joe biden this go around but it's very obvious that the establishment is quite nervous that Bernie Sanders could be the nominee. I have a contrarian view, and I actually think Bernie would be harder to run up against than Joe Biden. Me too. But I think I'm in the minority opinion. Uh,
0: well, you Williams were. I, you know, I, I listened to the president's speech this weekend where he said, you know, just a quick poll. Who thinks it'd be easier to win against Biden than who thinks it'd be easier to... And Bernie, everybody was just out of their minds saying that this was so great that he was going to run against Bernie. And I thought, I... I don't think so. I mean, Biden has no, there's no passion behind Biden, none. That's right. Um, And he plays the old school game. You don't know the game of the supporters, uh, the passion. And, you know, we've never seen a Bolshevik campaign for president of the United States. We have no idea what the president could be facing.
2: That's right. And, And never underestimate how hard it is to run up against the generosity of promises that might never have to be fulfilled and probably won't be fulfilled. It's very difficult. And it's rooted in divisive victimology, identity politics. And Senator Sanders does that quite well. And you and I both know, Glenn, that the culture has been tilted so far in the wrong direction towards the leftist, Marxist worldview. I think that they've been waiting for a candidate like this, and I do believe they would have a higher turnout, and I do believe that it would be difficult in certain states. Now, do I think it's beatable? Of course, it's beatable. Um, but Joe Biden, he embodies the ruling class more so than any other candidate I could think of. Now, I would rather run against that. I would rather have President Trump, ironically, run as an outsider, as an in- incumbent president yeah. one of the first times in America. Yeah, I-, I would embrace that type of candidacy um, instead of trying to argue for the status quo which i don't think that would be it against bernie
0: no uh but it's really i mean it's you know for people who won't put donald trump signs uh in their yard um I, i'm going to start making signs that just says america versus socialism because that's yeah. what it is and i think there are people who are like i don't want to put a donald trump sign in my yard because but i think those people would put an america versus socialism sign in their yard that's you know because that's what this would be about
2: and, and that that is a, that is a fight that I think we will win, thankfully at this time in our in our country's history. And it should be a sh- It should be a fire alarm and a wake up call to every American. So, I get that question a lot, man. They say, and They say, How on earth is it possible that a candidate like Bernie can can be you know getting this much traction? I say, Have you visited a college campus? Have you seen what our government schools have been teaching these last couple decades? It flows downstream from culture. Andrew Breitbart told us that yeah. repeatedly, and he's been proven correct. That Bernie Sanders is just a byproduct. He's a he's a William Jennings Bryan style mm-hmm. Marxist, and and you know what I mean by mm-hmm. that, which is he's trying to use the worst instincts of what would be a populist movement mixed with Marxism, and it's not going away. I mean, in the in the coming years in American politics, you're going to see. Even more talented politicians. I mean, you look at Bernie. He's actually quite. He's not very talented. Uh, he repeats himself a lot. He makes very fatal errors. And I, I think there's a very interesting thought exercise for you, Glenn. Bernie's not an Olinskyite, uh, Glenn. He's not an Olinskyite at all. Bernie is not an Olinskyite in the sense that he does he he it, it, he does not embrace the symbology or the. Um, the history of the country he's trying to take over. Yes. Where Alinsky was very clear yes. in in saying that if you're trying to take over a country, do not uh do not attack the flag, do not attack the songs, do not attack the history. In fact embrace them. But a true radical disguises to be someone who he isn't. And Obama did that so well. He was a true Olinskiite. Um I think Bernie is not Bernie's a true. He he, he almost rejects the doctrine of Alinsky, and so mm-hmm. this should be a this should be a wake up call for everyone listening, and it could be a you know a fire alarm for a broken culture and for things to come.
0: So I I will tell you that I um, I sat um, right behind the president uh, in his speech this weekend, and I really watched him, uh, and I learned a lot about his connection with with people he's running you know people used to say well he's like the guy at the end of the bar who just says things i don't think that's right i think people his supporters see him as the president who's also their friend who is now telling them and joking with them and like this is crazy right and he'll be the president when he needs to be the president but he's still on the outside and he's bringing the average person along with him and it's kind of like they're in on it together. Does that make that sense to you? That is
2: such a profound point. Yeah, and I write about this in my in my book, The MAGA Doctrine. And it kind of I came to this realization, I went to 10 Trump rallies in the course of 10 weeks when I wrote this book. And I did it kind of on just a total fact-finding mission, trying to do what journalists wouldn't do, and actually right. witness and see and learn. And what I realized is exactly the point that you put forward here, Glenn, which is, President Trump does not just go to the rallies to fire up the base, which he does, but he goes to actually learn.
0: Yes. He goes
2: to get, he, he wants to see what's resonating with the people out there. He, he has a very, he moves more around the podium than any politician I've ever seen. He'll, he'll do that famous kind of side view, or he'll go and look in people's mm-hmm. eyes and say something such as, I moved the embassy to Jerusalem, and he'll mm-hmm. say, the, the place erupt, and he'll say, okay got it people yep they, they, they like that
0: yeah he does he by, walks back from the podium and then he yeah. watches it's it's yeah. phenomenal he even said at one point uh you know what i'm gonna have to ask that question more often you you he was doing internal polling
2: yes and it goes both ways and glenn i'm sure you noticed this but at that speech did you see anyone on their phone no. Do you see anyone texting, besides taking pictures, of course, but no. did you see anyone doing the normal stuff you see no. during speeches? No. They are locked in and engaged. I mean, I have not seen people so focused on a speaker. And I saw this when I went to these rallies and I wrote this book in Wisconsin and in Florida and in Arizona, where I saw tens of thousands of people at full attention, locked in on every word the president was saying, not tweeting, not responding to their text messages. And I almost equate it to this was the president giving a shareholder report to the people that put him into office, if you will, as if the American people are the metaphorical board of directors that he believes he needs to continue to report back to and say, here's how we're doing, here's what you can do and I'm going to keep fighting for you.
0: So here's how I read this. And uh, I read it very similarly. Um, you know, his speeches, he'll have the speech written. So he's that's the shareholder report. But then it's it's almost as if he's your buddy who's the president and you're alone with him. And he's like, uh, let me tell you what else. I mean, this is cr- You know what else happened this week? You know what else this person said or this person? And. You're you're laughing and you're getting the inside scoop. So he's more of like your friend who's also the chairman of the board. And you're in the shareholders meeting. But then afterwards, he's like, let me give you the real scoop. It's an amazing thing. I I've totally missed unless you're there watching him.
2: I, I, that, that's exactly right. And I believe that this is the best example we have in my lifetime and recent american political movements of what citizen government looks like because for example if the president comes to a trump rally and, and he says something like oh what do you think about you know medicare for all people are upset and they're screaming and he yes. goes okay i don't like that got so, it
0: so do you do you agree to charlie that because um, your book is your book is really really good i'm not going to be able to get into everything i know we we did a special with you friday the friday night special it's on blaze tv just under glenn tv or gbtv and look for last friday's uh exclusive uh it's about 45 minutes with charlie on the book and it's fascinating you really have to heat, uh, hear it um but the loyalty comes from uh him listening to them and uh and and also he is he's not going to betray because i really think he gets so much out of that audience he's it's like the only time he feels safe i think which is odd but it's the only time i think he feels safe to say what he really believes in a room where everybody's going to go yeah that's right you know it's like they're friends and so he's not going to betray them because that's who he. That's the only group of people he trusts. And, and, and for good
2: reason. I mean, the he feels far more comfortable in front of 10,000, 15,000, 50,000 yes. middle-class Americans than at, a, than at a D.C. cocktail party.
0: Yeah.
2: Yep. About whatever is the you know, yep. new creme de la creme in D.C. That's yep. a president I want. Yep. I want a president who wants to spend two hours at CPAC on a Saturday the same week that he flew back 30, uh, 50 hours round trip from India to represent us abroad. The same week they negotiate peace in Afghanistan and deals with what I call the China virus, not the coronavirus. But he spends two hours with 5,000 middle class Americans at CPAC. That's special, and he got more out of it because after the speech, and I've been with him after speeches, every, you know, a couple times, yep. and I just watch. And you know what he'll say? He's like, "Wow." They really love the fact that I moved the embassy. They really like that, and then he internalizes it, and then that—that that to him is reinforcement for yeah. what he's doing. But it's also instructive.
0: He is—he doesn't trust his advisors, and you—you know—you really go over a lot of this in your book. He doesn't trust the um, advisors. The advisors that he trusts are either his family members or mainly the people. This yeah. is this is his advisory board meeting.
2: That's exactly right. And from citizen, the idea of citizen government goes all the way back to the Bible, of course, where the the idea of the individual being sovereign. But we look at who exactly is in charge of our country. We the people. It's all of us, the individuals. And the president recognizes that. And it's a de-emphasis on the on the. Intellectual, you know, essentially the intellectual um, superiority of the ruling class, which I love. I absolutely love it because I believe that the overemphasis on that in the last 30 years has actually contributed to the rise of progressivism. And you can say a lot about President Trump, but he has slowed the rise of progressivism more dramatically than any president since yeah. Reagan. Yes. And I think for that, he deserves phenomenal phenomenal credit.
0: The name of the book is the Maga Doctrine. Uh, the uh, the only ideas that will win the future by Charlie Kirk. It's available everywhere uh, this week. Get it now. If you'd like to hear more from uh, Charlie, um, just uh, you can follow him on Twitter. He's got a great podcast. Uh, also, we have him for the Friday night exclusive last Friday. It's available on Blaze TV really really fascinating discussion on the strengths and the weaknesses and uh and how this election is going to come down with donald trump uh and charlie kirk this is the best of the Glenn Beck program What you're about to hear sounds a little nuts, quite honestly. It sounds it sounds like a movie. It sounds like it's something that couldn't happen. But let's remember, 20 years ago, watching television on your phone while your car was driving you home also was only in a movie. This is real. And the guy, the only guy that I know of that is really watching over is a guy who is author, editor, longtime uh, psychology researcher, professor, distinguished scientist. Um, He's the former editor-in-chief of Psychology Today, uh, senior research psychologist at the American Institute for Behavioral Research and Technology, also the founder and uh, director emeritus of the Cambridge Center for Behavioral Studies in Massachusetts. He has a Ph.D. in psychology from Harvard, author of 15 books. This guy also voted for hillary clinton he is not a guy who is saying hey uh you know donald trump is the greatest and they're rigging it against. this is a guy who actually agrees with the democratic policies much more than anything of donald trump but he believes first and foremost in the constitution and that every vote is actually heard and counted and not manipulated I have tremendous respect for him. Dr. Robert Epstein, um, explain. You write in your in your uh, latest uh, article, no matter which weak candidate the Democrats ultimately nominate. And even with Russia's help, President Donald Trump cannot win the 2020 election for that matter. in races nationwide in which the projected winning margins are small, under five percent or so. Republicans in general are likely to to lose—that is quite a statement. Back it up.
3: Well, unfortunately, uh, the, the, those statements are not only true. I'm I'm actually understating uh, the gravity of the problem. To, to understand what's happening here, you have to go back to uh, to to what my Democrat friends call Armageddon Day. You call it Election Day. Oh. Uh, 2016 but uh, they call it Armageddon Day Uh, you have to go back to that day you have to look at that uh, one hour video that leaked uh, from Google uh, right after the election in which uh, Google's top Uh executives are saying straight out this is a disaster, this is a calamity Uh, we're never going to let this happen again you have to look at some of the whistleblowers who have since been fired by google or have quit and they are telling us that from that day forward google and to a lesser extent the other tech companies made a decision we are going to use every single technique we have available to us to shift votes and make sure that trump is not reelected. so that's all a matter of record now also a matter of record is is a meticulous scientific research I've been doing since 2013 that shows the power that these companies have to shift votes. And I actually can calculate for each technique how many votes they can shift. So you asked, like, what are the techniques? What can they do? Well, the techniques are unbelievable. They've never existed before in human history. I've been stumbling on them one by one uh Carefully studying them with tens of tens of thousands of participants in multiple experiments in multiple countries, the techniques are unbelievable. So I, I, I can start with the first one I discovered, which is seen the search engine manipulation effect. This this is simply the fact that if one candidate is favored over another in Google search results, which virtually everyone uses, that shifts votes to that candidate and people can't see if there's any bias in search results
0: almost no one can see it correct and there's and, no record of it
3: yes this is called uh, internally at google these are called ephemeral experiences we know this from a leak out of google of emails to the wall street journal in 2018 where one googler is saying to fellow google googlers it's hard to say uh how can we use ephemeral experiences to shift people's views on Trump's travel ban? So these are ephemeral experiences. Like you, you, you type in a search term, you get some search results. It's that, that information you're seeing on your screen is generated just for you, generated on the fly. It affects you because you're, you're likely to click at what's at the top, so it definitely has an impact on you. And it disappears, and it's gone forever, and it's not stored anywhere. So that's ephemeral experiences. It's a perfect kind of manipulation because no one can go back in time and figure out what you were shown. It's it's perfect. And that technique alone can easily shift more than 20% of undecided voters without their knowledge up to 80% in some demographic groups. That was just my first discovery. That was way back in 2013. Since then, I've discovered about a dozen techniques like that, which are controlled entirely by these executives at these couple of companies. And you can't counteract what they're doing. It's not like a billboard. You see, you put up your billboard, I put up my billboard. You buy your TV commercial, I buy my TV commercial. These techniques are nothing like that because... It's one thing if you want to, you know, buy some ads and post them on Facebook or something, you know, but then your competitor will do the same and so on. But what if Facebook itself, what if Google itself, what if the platforms want to support one candidate or one party, you cannot counteract what they're doing. Generally speaking, you can't even see what they're doing.
0: Okay, so I remember as a kid and you you you've talked about this. I remember as a kid, they said they're editing films and movie theaters to make you drink Coca-Cola more. They're putting they're putting frames in that that uh, that show the uh, an ice cold Coke. And it makes you want to get up in the middle and go to the refreshment stand or or Disney is putting in secret sex messages into the. That's nothing, nothing compared to. To this,
3: that's correct. Those are that's called uh, subliminal influence, and uh, it's it's a real thing, but it's very, very, very tiny. It's so tiny that uh, we've never even passed any laws in the United States to prohibit it. The the UK does prohibit it, but we don't even prohibit it because, again, the evidence shows it has such a tiny effect. But the effects that I've discovered are humongous. For example. (laughs) For example, uh, there's one which I call DDE, which is the differential demographics effect. This is so simple. In 2018, on Election Day, Google posted a big message on its home page, which would would have been seen on Election Day 500 million times by Americans. They replaced the word Google with the words, go vote. So the vote reminder And they got tremendous praise that day. Look at that great thing, that great public service, you know, that uh, Google is doing. That was not a public service. That was a vote manipulation because Google knows the demographics of the people who are going to see that. And they knew very precisely, I mean, down to the last digit, they knew exactly how many more Democrats would see that reminder than Republicans. If that reminder was seen by everyone that day that would have given 800,000 more votes to Democrats than to Republicans. Uh, so, so, Search suggestions. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on because we're actually, we just opened up a line of research on a whole new manipulation, which is, I think, going to be bigger than all the others
0: well i know we're doing we're doing a special uh this wednesday night and you're going to be part of it um this wednesday night we're talking about the stealing of elections how secure are our elections everybody's talking about russia forget about russia forget about russia how about this this has a much bigger potential uh to really end uh democracy and and quite honestly, free will you know there's there's a debate and i see it happening in the the circles of silicon valley and those those kinds of people and they're now starting to debate what is free will is there anything like free will does it even exist or will it exist in the future if you're right doctor and i believe you are because you've backed it up with the evidence it dismiss you think you have free will but you don't You're actually being manipulated all the time.
3: Well, yes. And and here is a quote from a, a British economist who was a professor in the United States when he said this. Back in 1957, a world of unseen dictatorship is conceivable still using the forms of democratic government. And that is what we're up against. And Eisenhower, 1961, yep. in that famous speech of his, yep. he warned not only about the rise of a military-industrial complex, he warned; he actually warned about the rise of a technological elite that could take control over public policy without people knowing. That's where we are now. That's exactly what has happened. Uh I mean, I have the numbers, I have the data, my work is meticulous in all respects. And as I say, we're just, about, we're, we're just about to get numbers on a whole new technique that we've discovered. I'm telling you, this stuff is frightening. And the fact that mainstream media and that my friends, the Democrats, are pretty much ignoring what I'm saying, not all of them, but most of them are, That's outrageous, and that's because they're the ones benefiting at the moment from these manipulations.
0: All right. So maybe we'll have you back tomorrow because I would like to hear about the the new um, the new way in, if you will, on on what you've discovered. Um, But we also really want I urge you, if if you are thinking, you know what, I want to donate money, I want to help on something. This is probably the biggest thing that you could do to help preserve the republic. Um, and and that is making sure these tech companies are held responsible. He's the only one doing this. He needs to raise an awful lot of money. I want you to go to mygoogleresearch.com if you have, I don't care if it's five dollars or ten thousand um, dollars, please, please consider this as a donation. Um, you go to mygoogleresearch.com. that's mygoogleresearch.com. Uh, And hopefully we're going to have some uh, some breaking news for you on Wednesday um, about some of this research. But we really need your um, support and he needs your support financially. MyGoogleResearch.com.
1: This is the best of the Glenn Beck program.
0: All right, so there are two parts of the coronavirus that you really need to understand. The first part is the actual medical side of it. And on that, I have some good news. On the other side of it is the the economic meltdown. Now, the Fed looks like they're going to come in and cut rates again on Wednesday. They're encouraging the entire globe, all of the central banks in the world, to do the same. This is going to... Uh, this just... A, it's like overusing antibiotics. You can use antibiotics, but if you overuse antibiotics, they become worthless. It doesn't have any effect. I have a feeling that they cut rates and they cut them pretty dramatically here, if not this week, maybe in a couple of weeks. Um, but I think you're going to see some Fed cuts, and I don't think it's going to actually do much for the economy. I think we are overusing these antibiotics uh, right now. And that should cause some concern right now. The economic impact of coronavirus is not seen yet here in America, except for like the Dow. The Dow was down. What in four days, 5000 points, 6000 points. That's remarkable. Remarkable. If you look at the value of the dollar, the value of the dollar is going down because we're going to make more of them. If you look at the Dow, your 401k is down. If you have precious metals, if you have gold, you're way up. I mean, way, way up. That is That should disturb you. When the price of gold goes up, especially in a dramatic way, it means that the world is more unstable. Because the world always goes to gold when things look like a real crisis is at hand. please. Understand the coronavirus is going to be with us for a very long time. And what we're looking at now is just the beginning of it. If we don't get a vaccine into people's hands by this time next year, we could have real, real economic uh, downturns and troubles. And especially if Bernie Sanders looks like he might be the president. We could be in a depression quickly. I want you to call Line now and find out if gold or silver is right for you. Do it right now. How much risk are you willing to tolerate? I hit my limit last week. Goldline one eight six six Goldline one eight six six Goldline. Call them and ask them how you can protect your IRA, four hundred one k, or other retirement accounts. And just for speaking to somebody today about your portfolio, you're going to get a three quarter ounce pure bullion silver coin at no cost. Call today. The number is eight six six Goldline one eight six six Goldline or Goldline all right. Here are our daily stats for our coronavirus update. All numbers are uh, are locked into place by 5:30 a.m. Central Time. So these are all as of 5:30 this morning. Total confirmed cases: eighty-nine thousand eight hundred and forty-two. That's up about six thousand from Friday. Total confirmed dead: up two hundred and fifty-five from Friday. of all active cases is steady, considered serious, meaning hospitalization. 5% of those require ICU treatment. That number is steady at 18%. The U.S. now has 88 confirmed cases and two deaths, both in Washington state. The CDC website is now showing 472 total citizens have been tested, up from 445 last Friday. Now you're going to start to see the number of those infected in the United States go up, and here's why: because we're now testing for them. Remember, the CDC website showing two 472 total citizens have been tested in the United States. 472 people. I believe that coronavirus has been around here for a while, but because our healthcare system is good, because we're we're not freaking out about it, it's being treated like the regular flu. As these tests now become uh, more and more frequent. Because today, there are 54 labs now having testing uh, capabilities here in the U.S. The CDC has certified 12 regional hospitals to perform their own direct testings as of this week. That's new. So now, if you're going to one of these big regional hospitals, you're going to get the testing done right away. And more and more hospitals are going to come online. That means you're going to find more and more people. For instance, we now have a fatality rate in the u.s of 2.5 percent well that's really high but that's because we think there are only 400 what is it what did i say 472 tests that have been done so when you have 472 tests how many of those have been confirmed and two people die well how many people in the united states actually have it right now I think you're going to see these numbers go through the roof. Yeah. I mean, because they think it's been
1: just being passed around, for example, Washington State for weeks and weeks undetected. Yes. And well, so... that should tell you it's not so bad here. Right. And, and you know, like a lot of people they think are having... Uh, they may be passing it without even getting sick at all. Yeah. Showing no symptoms whatsoever. Yeah. Even after the incubation period is over. So, I mean, that being said, there's... In my opinion no way this thing winds up anywhere near 2.5 or 2.3 percent fatality rate when this is over i'll be stunned if it's above one but that being said it's still a lot i mean when you know we talk about the the flu itself it's 0.1 percent die but when 30 million people get it every year that number
0: is a big number so let me give you the stats this is comparing the seasonal flu uh, to COVID-19, and this is why governments are freaking out or taking aggressive action. Um, this is verse the flu. The case fatality rate is currently two point three percent globally in the United States. It's two point five. But I don't believe that number because I don't think we know how many people have it. All right. So the fatality rate is two point three globally. The serious complication rate, meaning pneumonia and hospitalization the common season flu seasonal flu is 0.9% this is at 18% so 18% get pneumonia or have to go to the hospital this is why it's so deadly for people who are older uh, requiring an ICU uh the, these common everyday flu is 0.25% this is 5% the rate of infection is 1.3 the rate of infection or the R not uh, score which they give smallpox i think is like a 15 meaning is very very um virile and spreadable this is at 4.7 that's a lot um time that it survives on surfaces the flu is four to five hours covid19 is five to nine days The incubation period, two to three days for the flu, five to 14 days for COVID-19. Natural herd immunity, which is really important. The common flu has that. So in other words, we all kind of have, we're all a little bit immune to it and the different strains might hurt us, et cetera. We don't have immunity towards this. The hospitalization per 1 million infections for the seasonal flu, it's 9,000. For COVID-19, it's 180,000 per million. ICUs per 1 million infections, uh, 2,500 for the seasonal flu, 50,000 for COVID-19. And fatalities per 1 million infections, 1,000 for the uh, the seasonal flu, 23,000 for COVID-19 as it stands today but again i think that number will come down and this is why of course you you of course prepare for the worst case scenario that this rate sort of continues
1: it means adding lots and lots of tests it means all sorts of different things so you should prepare to be you know incredibly serious we just i think i think rationally understand that it's not going to be as high as this thankfully
0: yeah you're going to be look we're going to be inconvenienced and let me just let me just say this I've been explaining it for the last few days to people like this, and they seem to connect with it. First, they freak out. And they think, I'm saying to them, we're all going to die. I'm not saying that. Listen to me carefully. We're all going to get this. All of us. We're all going to get COVID-19. Whether it's this month, next month, this year, next year, five years from now, we're all getting it. Just like we all will get the flu. Exactly right. The flu, the pandemic of 1918 we are still passing around the the seasonal flu is part of that flu the original flu from 1918 so we've all had the same flu of 1918 we've all had it several times okay it's incredible it's incredible yeah. that virus was introduced in 1918 it was a pandemic Well, we've all had it and we didn't die. The same is true. This will be around most likely for the rest of our lives. COVID-19 is going to be added as a secondary flu now. So you'll get this flu, the seasonal flu of 1918, the Spanish flu, and you might get COVID-19. So there'll be two strains of flu. Now, if it's exactly the same as the flu, that just means we've doubled the amount of deaths Every year, sixty-five thousand people died last year for the common seasonal flu. And while we've been
1: talking about COVID nineteen, eighteen thousand have died this year.
0: You're right from it. So it it more people are dying from the seasonal flu than most likely will die from this flu. Okay, but it's very virile and as uh, uh, far as spreadable. Uh, and if it mutates and we don't have any defense against it it could be bad it's just the unknowns plus Correct. no treatments but but stop thinking that i can't get it i can't get it i can't get it <laughs> you might already have it and you might get it and if it's this this month okay that's probably going to be scary But in time, we're all going to get it. We're all going to get it. And the world's not going to end. No. But, I mean, you look at the the seasonal flu, right? There
1: there are vaccines every year that vary somewhat in effectiveness. But about 50% of people get them, right? Mm -hmm. Which helps cut down the amount of deaths and helps cut down the spread of the flu. Think of the flu happening with no vaccine at all, which is what this could be. Correct. Right. You're going to see. So instead of fifty percent getting a vaccine beforehand, zero percent get it. And then add on to that that there's four different medications that treat the seasonal flu. There mm-hmm. are zero medications that yeah. treat this. So you're going into. It's going to, to be tr- dicey, right? And we, until we until we get our arms around it, it's yeah. going to be dicey. We know the flu sort of burns out in the mm-hmm. more, in the summer months. We don't know that about this about coronavirus yet. If it doesn't, we believe it, probably will, but we right. don't know.
0: If it doesn't. I I worry about serious much more serious economic impact. Mm-hmm. If if we can get this thing to die down, then we at least have time to get the world back on its feet before it hits again. If it just even just slows down but does not stop as a seasonal flu does, that's going to be a problem for the economy and we're going to need to have a vaccine and some treatment for it pretty quickly. But this is not Ebola. It's not one last thing. Please stop wearing the stupid masks. Okay. Stop wearing it. What they if you don't, do, what if it's for fashion? If it's for fashion, then just stop being stupid. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it doesn't work. Okay. It doesn't work. Even the N95, it has to be fitted to your face. You know, now they're saying if you have an N95, great. Then wear a regular mask underneath that. Stop it. Jeez. Stop it. Okay. Um, you know, you should have had an N95 mask or an N100 mask long time ago. But on th- in this particular case, it's not doing anything except stopping doctors where it's really bad from having something that they can put on and take off and dispose of because everybody's keeping them, you know, in their basements and in their bug out rooms. You don't need it. It doesn't work. OK, for you it won't work and it's not necessary just wash your hands for two minutes several times a day use antibacterial soap and stay informed and you can find all of this information by the way the cdc actually came out the head of cdc and said okay enough with the masks (laughs) i mean it was it was almost hysterical the way they dealt with it please just stop um you can find all of this information now at glenbeck.com and here on the broadcast, first thing uh, in hour number three at this time every day on the radio program and on glenbeck.com. The Blaze Radio Network. On demand.